Grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, that's where we are today, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In case you came in and weren't aware of it, today uh, during the first hour was when we had our annual meeting, uh, talking about this last year and the things that God has done among us and the things that He has doing and what we look forward to Him doing in the days ahead. And today is really, this message is kind of a continuation of that, so we will um, hit on some of the themes that we talked about today out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 21. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this one, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Father, for this marvelous passage of Scripture. Thank you for what you have already taken us through. We pray now that as we look at this passage, which expresses for us not only individually, but us as a church, the glory and the liberty of knowing our identity in Christ, who we are as new creations, I pray that the message would get into our hearts. And I also ask, Lord, that for those who may not know you today, may not be savingly joined to you, they might never have realized that they are a sinner unlost, uh, undone and lost before you, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is real and true, and that Jesus stands ready to save to the uttermost today, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. So thank you, Lord. We pray that you would help us to receive, to hear, and to apprehend all that you tell us and then respond to the truth by obeying it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For over a year now, we have been told that we are living in unprecedented times. Now, you know at least those of you who have been here through the entire 
year, this past year, that in some ways I've resisted that. Because Christians, not only today but through the ages, have faced things much worse than we in America or in Oklahoma are facing today. And yet, as this year has unfolded, I can safely say that at least in my lifetime, I have never seen anything like what is going on around us. I've talked with particularly older people who agree heartily. My dad, who's 93 years old, I was talking to him two weeks ago, and we were just talking about things in life, and he said exactly the same thing. There are several themes that I want you to see today, and I want to lead with this theme. Now, what I want to do is to guard against a, uh, a kind of message that pits us against everyone else. I said in the first hour that I want heritage to be known for what we are for rather than what we are against. But we have been singing about the reality of, of this. And if you have been a Christian for any length of time, then you know that this is reality in your own life and in your relationships within your family. And, and, and surely as we go out in concentric circles and you will find it in your relationships at work and even at church that we are at war. And it didn't start with the COVID virus last year. We have been at war since the very beginning. In fact, Revelation chapter 12 is a whole picture of going back and realizing some of the things as John unfolds his revelation. And he talks in very symbolic language, but you, you can get from this little passage of Scripture who he's talking about. There was war in heaven. and We don't know all of the particulars of this, but the great dragon was thrown down. Now, who was that? The serpent of old. Well, that gives us some insight, but he was called the devil and Satan. Now, watch what he does. He's a deceiver. He deceives the whole world if he can, and even in the church. That's one of the things he would love to do. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. I, I'm really not sure because in our Again, I, I'm talking about our world, our culture. That's the thing with which we have primarily to do. I'm not sure that the average person just living his or her life really understands that over the entirety of history, but particularly in our culture over the last 20 or 30 years, that there has been a concerted agenda. And it has permeated academia, entertainment, government, churches, religious organizations in such a way, and again, I, I'm, I'm measuring my words very carefully, 
so that you will hear me not say what I'm not saying, and so that you will hear me accurately saying that increasingly, I, I, I don't know how else to say it, we're seeing sin redefined as good, and we're seeing good redefined as evil. We're, we're seeing in our day laws. Now, by the way, we, the church of Jesus Christ has much more to do than just with laws that are enacted in any country. The church is active all over the world in places where the laws are absolutely against them. But again, dealing with our culture, we are seeing right now laws that are being enacted that could very well make living as a Christian, living out a life of sanctification, becoming more and more Christ-like, and doing what Jesus has told us to do, go and make disciples. And it starts with, with you guys that have younger children in the home. You're making disciples of your children. Grandparents, you're helping to disciple your grandchildren and increasingly, it could become illegal. It already is in countries that could be our cousins, called our cousins, like Australia and Canada. To say things that would lead to sanctification. I, folks, again, these statements are not made to, to cause fear. They are just a reality check for who we are and where we are. Let me say what else these words are not. Hear me. These are not words so that we can wish for the good old days. For those of us who have lived long enough, the good old days weren't in so many ways. For you, they might have been. But to try to go back is, I think, antithetical to what we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. What I'm trying to do is to help you understand from a biblical point of view, and that's what guides us, isn't it? A biblical point of view, what we must do. So, let's continue with this, this theme of the dragon, the warfare, and it's, it's real. It's if you've got a temporary truce going on in your home or in your own life or, or whatever the case may be, just wait. It's coming. So what do you do? Well, the answer is very clear. The dragon is really enraged. He's going to be enraged, and so he's going to make war particularly with people who oppose his agenda, with those who keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if you don't care about doing that, then chances are you're going to slide through. But there is an agenda that he has to make war with you. Everybody is telling us what we need as a church. And you, you can guess what my next words are, what the church and what the world needs most desperately, no, not the old Dionne Warwick song, is love, sweet love. What we need desperately is God's Word and God's Spirit 
and our testimonies of how God's Word and God's Spirit has been changing us. There is no one perfect in this room. I am not perfect. God is still changing me, and I I want Him to until the day I go to be with Him. That's going to be something I look forward to, but until that time, we, everyone in this room who names the name of Christ, you have a testimony that the Word of God and the Spirit of God is changing you, and the devil hates it. He hates the fact that as a church we hold to sola scriptura, the inerrant, infallible, clear, complete, and powerful Word of God. It really is all you need. Yeah. Let, let me just share with you just what I said in, in, in another verse, and I've shared this before. As far as worldview statements, the worldviews in conflict, there are only two worldviews. There are only two, if you want to put it like this, religions, only two systems about reality. Everybody falls into this. And I want to ask the question again, how is the church to respond? The only two truths are people who see around them the creation that God has given us, the order that God has given us, but they reject that truth. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. And then this, again, we overcome. How? By the blood of the Lamb. The word of our testimony that I just shared with you a few moments ago. And, and I want you to see this. They did not love their own life even when they faced death. We're going to get into verses 14 and 15 in just a moment. But I, I just I want to share out of, out of what I've just said to you by way of a, of a setup and about the two realities. And parents and grandparents, please, please get this into the hearts of your children. Everybody on the face of the earth has and always has had a system of reality. Everybody views life in a particular way. And either they are going to view it from the lens of being God-rejectors, there is no neutrality, or they're going to view it from the lens of being those who submit to God and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody makes truth claims. By the way, I mentioned this last week, and somebody came up and gave me a little bit more insight into this. I was so glad because you remember that when I said last week that everybody makes truth claims, that I quoted that great theologian. I always say this tongue-in-cheek for those of you who are visiting, Obi-Wan Kenobi. When he was talking to Luke, and he had just, I mean, Obi-Wan, I shared last week, I'm sorry, but Obi-Wan Kenobi just lied. He lied all the time. And he lied about Luke's father, and so finally when the truth came out, and Luke asked Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, why did you lie? What what were his famous words that he, he said? It's not a lie, just truth from a certain point of view. And that's what our young people are going, that's what they're growing up with today. 
And that's why this is so important, what I'm sharing with you this morning. Oh, by the way, somebody came up and they were a little bit more versed in Obi-Wan's theology. So, we were talking about it. We're talking about absolutes today. And he later on famous, famously told Anakin, who was to become Darth Vader, you remember this line? Only a Sith deals in absolutes. So don't let the enemy, I guess Satan was the original Sith, push you into a corner. God's Word deals with absolutes, and they are true. Okay, let's get after it. And verse 14 and 15, all things must be accomplished. We're, we're going to talk about a broad sweep of some of the things we, we mentioned earlier and, and give an overview and, and why we are what we are. And I've already given you a little bit of that, but I want to go back to verses 14 and 15. All things must be accomplished under the control of Christ's love. You see that? For the love of Christ controls us. I love that word. That not just control, it means it holds together. The love of God holds us together, folks. With all the diverse opinions that we can have, it's the love of God through Christ that holds us together. It's the love of God through Christ that urges us, that drives us on. And that's why we must test things that potentially divide and I pray that we will always have this combination as we deal with those who are not in agreement with us. I, you've heard me before. The last thing I want to do is set us up and thump ourselves on the chest like we are something great as Heritage Baptist Church for the things we believe. If we believe the truth, it's by the grace of God. And so how do we deal with people. We deal with people in the church, outside the church, the same way that Jesus dealt with people. It says that he was full of what? Grace and truth. Don't ever pit one against the other. He was full of grace and truth. We must be full of grace and truth. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds us in that chapter that I was talking about earlier this morning. This is why none of us lives for himself, no, no matter what it is, like the, the, the mask, no mask thing. None of us lives for ourselves. In dealing with different viewpoints, none of us dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord, so that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Folks, it is the heart, not the masks. It's the heart, not the social distancing. It's the heart, not the vaccines. Not that any of them are necessarily unimportant. But I asked this question this morning, and I'll ask it again. The key, the key consideration, the key question in all of the things that we have been through this last year is what has this dispute done to your soul? What has this dispute done to your soul? I, I've seen it where people understand and the, the, the ways that we were talking about this morning, the ways of 
that mutual deference, submitting to one another in love, recognizing, as I said, that we ought to be doing what our sign says outside, not flaunting our freedom, our liberty, our autonomy, which God has given us, but we need to be recognizing that sign. And if we come up to someone, then we recognize social distancing. And we're sensitive to that person because they could be one that we need to put on our mask. That's deference. The key question, what has this done to your soul? You, you know what I've seen, and I've, I know you've seen it too. We have seen that this issue and other issues that I'm going to mention in a minute, that they have, in some people, shriveled the soul. There are some people that are out there and they're bitter. They're bitter over things that are going on. It's caused division in churches. It, it's caused division in families. L let me quote for you, and you can just read along with me. It's on the, the worship guide. Randy Alcorn's quote on grace. Uh, he's referring to the home, but I, I, it could be a reference to the, the household of God, the church. But I think he, he says a lot here for all of us, husbands and wives, moms and dads, grandfathers, children, grandchildren, the whole thing. And I, I always go back to that because it's, it's not an either or. It's always a both and. He says a home full of grace is also full of truth because grace doesn't make people less holy. It makes them more holy. Grace doesn't make people despise or neglect truth. It makes them love and follow truth. Grace isn't a free pass to sin. It's a supernatural empowerment not to sin. By failing to address sin in each other's lives, we send an unspoken message. I'll overlook your sin if you overlook mine. Grace raises the bar, but it also enables us to joyfully jump over the bar. I love that. Any concept of grace that leaves us or our children thinking that truth is expendable is not biblical grace. Isn't that great? Let's move on to the second thing in verse 16 and 17. Our this is so important, church. Our primary identity must be in Jesus Christ. And let me just add something that I wrote. It's not in your, on your outline. Our primary identity must be in Jesus Christ, not in demographics or in ethnic groups or in any other means that fallen men use to divide us. We are just, as, as people, we are just divided into so many, many splinter groups. We have to have our identity as, as Christians now. I'm talking about those of us who know and follow Jesus Christ. Let's look and see a couple of scriptures and what God's Word says about this. It goes back to creation. Paul says this. In Acts chapter 17, and he, that's God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having 
Now watch this. He's talking about people groups, ethnic groups, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Could I, could I say this? And you know it. But, but I'm afraid that there are people out, out there that don't. Your ethnic background is not a sin. Your people group is not inherently a sin. People groups can take so many different forms. I, I, what's your people group? I, let me just give you a silly illustration. I grew up in the hills of northwest Arkansas. Some of you know that. God's country. If you die in Fayetteville, you'll get to heaven quicker because it's closer to heaven. Okay. That's where I grew Oh, I know you don't agree with that. Okay, I, that leads me to a point, though. And so I'm from a tribe, a people group called Razorbacks. And some of you are from another tribe. Cowboys? Sooners? Being from the people group of Sooners is not a sin. <laughs> Although sometimes the Cowboys and the Razorbacks may... Silly illustration. But here, here's what happens when we begin to identify and place value on people because of their ethnic background. Let me take that one step for, uh, uh, further because of the color of their skin. color of your skin is not a sin. The gender to which God birthed you is not a sin. And in fact, it's not a mistake. And, and so if we understand that, that God is the creator of God, and let's just go to another verse that verifies this, we are created in the image of God, however God created you. And we all look different. Some of you look more like others than the others, than, than other people in the church. Those of you who are, who are children and siblings, I can see identity in, in many of you. But look, it's God who has created, and He's created everything that He has made very good. That's what the Bible says. Man was created in the image of God. I don't know how you can get any better than that. Whether you're a man or a woman, you were created in the image of God. And then coming together, that's why the sanctity of life expanded and the sanctity of marriage are absolutely so vital because we were created in the image of God and we were created with inherent value. The Pallison quote is really good. Your true identity who's, is who God says you are. It's who God says you are. You will never find your true identity in what you think. Okay, let me show you why. Please, there are people who struggle with this. Struggle is the operative word. 
maybe I'll come back to that. But, but let, let me just say that if we give in to a cultural ideology that says, I can be whatever my heart feels like me being, then we've fallen into the deceit of the heart. Now, there's someone behind that. We saw a minute ago that Satan is a deceiver. That's why when people, I hear this all the time, and again, in entertainment, other venues, follow your heart, follow your heart. Please don't follow your heart, follow the Word. Make sure your heart is in line with what the Word says. And here's why you can't find your identity in what other people say about you. You Don't depend. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from God. Now, especially as a Christian, and here we are in this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians, especially when we are born again, we are new creations. We are new creatures in Christ. The old things, what are the old things? The old things of sin have passed away. That's the language of death. They are dead. And any teaching, any ideology that holds on to the identity of sin is destructive. That's why Paul would say, such were some of you. Several years ago, it's been six years ago, the elders of of Heritage anticipated a time would come when something like the Equality Act so-called, would already have passed the House of Representatives and is now before the Senate. Will it pass? I, I, don't, I don't know. Obviously, while we're not co-belligerent and we don't want to be uber-involved, in, you know, God's above politics, but at the same time, contact your representative, your senator. And that's just a wise thing to do in a country where we've been given freedom to do it. But it's not going to be over with. And so anticipating that, we created, this is in our bylaws. We voted on it in an annual meeting back in 2015. And uh, it's a simple statement, short statement. Let me just read it to you. We believe that God created mankind in His image as male and female, that God ordained marriage as a covenant commitment between one man and one woman, and that that union, a covenant with God for their joint lifetime, that this union is the foundation of the family and the essential structure for society. The husband is commanded to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and his wife to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ, that God hates the dissolution of marriage, divorce. That context of marriage, that all other expressions of sexuality. Now, we put this in parentheses, and it's, it's interesting that we did so. Including, but not limited to. 
we knew that the plus at the end of an identity statement, including more than even some of the things that were on the horizon then, including but not limited to fornication, adultery, homosexuality, polygamy, incest, bisexuality, in parentheses, are sinful and offensive to God. Some of that obviously expresses what we believe is sin, but the whole tenor of that statement is ultimately positive. We believe in the sanctity of marriage. Let me move on to verses 18 and 19. You, you notice I, 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 today I don't want to get lost in the weeds. Now, here is something that you need to do. If this is bringing up some questions in, in your heart and your mind, please give us a call. Love to sit down and dialogue. What, how, do, how is this applied? We've had many, many conversations about this, and those who are struggling with things, things like same-sex attraction. We've had those conversations. By the way, the key word there is struggling. And so if that raises questions and observations, please, we would love to have the opportunity to visit with you. Verses 18 and 19, it moves on. We are reconciled to God and to each other through the gospel. Now look at what the gospel has done. Three verses. Jesus is our peace, okay? Uh, for those of you who've been saying, Lord, I need peace, I need peace, I need peace. What you need is Jesus because he himself is our peace. The more you have of Jesus, the more you have of peace. Who has made us both. Now, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles who were separated by the law and the covenants and all of the rest of that. But it has specific application to all people of all ethnic backgrounds. You notice I haven't said races because technically, biblically, there is only one race and it's the human race. I don't say that flippantly or lightly. There are a multitude of different ethnic backgrounds. But it says here that he has made those two entities into one, one new body, Paul says in Romans chapter 12. We are one new body. Individually, we are members of one another. And it doesn't matter, again, the color of our skin. If you are in Christ, I'm joined at the hip with you. Wow. That's why he goes on to say that we ought to have the same care for the body. And then in Revelation 7, 9, John says it even more explicitly. It's the scene of heaven. Should we desire this in every church, every local church? Yes, we should desire it. God sovereignly will accomplish that as we're faithful to preach the gospel and love people. So John said, here's what I saw. A multitude that no one could number from every nation. That word, again, from several weeks ago, people group. From all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and before God. The family of God is beautiful. 
I, I, I just thank God for what ethnic and cultural diversity that we do have. And even though our skins might be the same color, there's still an ethnic background and diversity that is so good. God doesn't just permit this diversity. He loves it, and we ought to cherish it. God is not colorblind. He's colorful. And His plan of redemption in the church is to bring all people of all backgrounds together. And there are ideologies or ideologies, however you want to pronounce it, that have been afoot now. I mentioned at the very beginning of this, it's not, a, they don't just come and say, here we are. They don't just show up. It's been little by little by little and they have, again, infiltrated our highest institutions, the institutions that are the influencers, the entertainment industry that seeks to destroy the rich diversity that God wants to create. Things like, and some of you probably have never even heard these terms. I really, I didn't until two years ago when Southern Baptists adopted. I said, well, what's critical race theory? What's critical theory? How is that related to other ideologies, ideologies that, that are found throughout the world? But let me just say this, what they do is pit one identity against the other, thus separating and destroying what Jesus Christ came to accomplish. You know what? These, these, these things are not new. They're as old as the garden. They just have different names. And here's what's amazing. They have made inroads into the church. Now, if you weren't here the last hour when I went through Romans 14 and explained how our church is responding, for one thing, to the COVID situation, I encourage you to, to, to listen. I believe it's going to be recorded. But, but these things, that and what we're talking about today, right now, I, I, I mentioned this in our last elders meeting, hot button issues. And let me just say why about the sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage. In other words, sanctity of life is more than just the unborn. It's the sanctity of the identity with which we were created. And the sanctity of marriage, meaning, again, going back to God's creation, one man, one woman for a lifetime, that is his ideal. And it's real. It's crept into our church. I say our church, I say what I mean is the church of Jesus Christ in our country. And so that's why we have to know the scriptural basis for believing what we believe. Now, not only did the elders several years back put together that resource, here's what we believe. 
Is it possible that it could be challenged someday? It is, but at least it's in our bylaws. So one of the things that the elders did in this particular thing of identity, we're talking about ethnic identity, we put together some resources. This will be on our website where you can go to these because the subject is so vast. We have gone through so much information, some good, some not so good, but we have picked out three videos that we believe will not only help you define the the whole CRT thing, but also a, a video of a discussion between some godly, godly men. And I find this so interesting. I was sitting there thinking a couple of weeks ago um, that this video, the one that we're recommending, is, is at least a year old. And I thought, well, is it dated? And then all of a sudden, the trial surrounding the George Floyd tragedy is in the news. It, it's coming up. So this is as timely is what is in front of us right now. So I I encourage you, if you want to know some of the things that are biblical. Now, let let me just read what what the elders wrote as an introduction to these things. By the way, there are two articles too. One is called The Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel, an absolutely must-read. Okay, authored by John MacArthur, Bodie Bauckham, several others. And then another article that's, that's very, very good. Here's, here's what the elders penned. Racism is the sinful belief in the inferiority or superiority and or the mistreatment or benefit of people based on the color of their skin or ethnicity. Racism is a sin because it's rooted in hatred toward an image bearer of God. By the way, this cuts both ways. One of our elders, wisely, Jamal Bridges, we were talking about this whole thing, and, and, and we know many of us are old enough to remember instances in our past that we're, we're not proud of the things that have gone on around us. Somebody brought up the other side of that. And somebody called it, well, reverse discrimination. Jamal corrected us. He said, no, racism is racism. Whether it's perpetrated by a person of one skin color or the other. And it's a sin. It rebels against God's biblical commands. It places man in opposition to God the Creator and so brings condemnation on the sinner. Like all sins, sins, racism is natural to our fallen world, which is cursed by sin, and God is the only one that can provide forgiveness and deliverance from racism. There is no other solution which will rid mankind of this sin. All believers must reject the sin of racism and guard their hearts against it. And so we offer these following resources. Now, we give a disclaimer. 
We, we, we want to foster love among the brothers and sisters, compassion for the lost, urging personal pursuit of holiness and righteousness. But we always hold to the Word of God as our final authority. So when you're reading those, while we think that these are the best concise group of resources that we can offer you, the Bible becomes our ultimate appeal for being an authority. Let me just throw in one verse and we'll get that last point and then we'll be done. Let me take a breath first. Wow. This, that middle one, love bears all things, believes all things. You know, it, it says here, love assumes the best. And that's where we have to find ourselves in the midst of all of the things that are going on. Let's go to the last one, verses 20 and 21. What are we? We are ambassadors for Christ, not for any political, again, ideology. These have been broad biblical statements. We're open to discuss, as I said. But the, the, the bottom line is this. Our only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why you and I must see ourselves as ambassadors of Christ and of the reconciliation that he offers. My mandate is not to change the world. Only God can do that. But my mandate and yours is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to pray and see the power of the Holy Spirit change people so that situations in the world might be changed. Christ died for sins. Everything that deviates from God's revealed purposes. And so that's why earlier in verse 11 he said, we persuade people. We must not shrink back. I'll end with this verse of Scripture and then quote something to you that I saw on Facebook, and I'm not even on Facebook. Acts 20, 24. I, I love this. King James really puts it um, in, a, in a way that applies to whatever situation you're in. These are times that people said they're, they're shaking the earth. Times that, that move people. And here's what Paul said. None of these things can shake me, move me from the bedrock position that I have. And in fact, he goes on. Didn't it say this in Revelation? I'm not counting my life as dear to myself. If only I may... Look at this. Finish my course with joy. Not just finish it, but finish it with joy in the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I was looking on Jan's Facebook and one of our members, and I, I, just, I just always appreciate I, social media is such a I, I don't know. It's a mixed bag at best. But, but I, I do appreciate when, when I see a consistency of someone not just copying, 
copying and pasting something that, again, someone has said, and it may be good, it may not be, it may be just worthless piece of information. But when people share things not only from God's Word or a trusted preacher, theologian of God's Word, and that, that is just that's helpful, and someone did that this last week, and when I was scrolling through your, I don't do that to check up on her, I just kind of sometimes want to know what's going on. I don't have to check up. But I came across this, and it's a quote from David Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says this about grace. We've been singing about grace, talking about grace all morning. It is grace at the beginning and grace at the end. So that when you and I come to lie down, lie upon our deathbeds, the one thing that should comfort and help and strengthen us there is the thing that helped us in the beginning. Not what we have been not what we have done, but the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Christian life starts with grace. It must continue with grace. It ends with grace. Father, I thank you that we have been privileged to come together in the name of Jesus and to worship you. And I pray that Today, while taking a break from our, our systematic verse-by-verse study of your Word, I pray that it's been an, uh, an important, even in some ways pivotal, time in the life of Heritage Baptist Church. I thank you that we can talk about these things. I thank you that we always appeal to your Word, help us to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through your word and through your spirit. And Father, even as I prayed at the beginning, I, uh, I also pray now that if there is anyone who is here today who sees himself or herself as a sinner lost and undone before a holy God, that that person would also have the eyes of their heart open to Christ crucified for sinners buried, raised on the third day, and ascended into heaven. I pray that they would reach out and appropriate the forgiveness that Jesus offers and come into not just an understanding, but a a lived-out experience of your grace in Jesus. So, Father, grant that it might be so and help us to live out the implications of all that we have heard today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.